Good morning. It is good to see everybody here today. Uh, we're so glad that you could come and worship with us. If you are visiting with us, you are our honored guest. To everyone else who are members of this congregation, I'd uh, just like to say that it's wonderful to have everybody here. And you are loved and appreciated, and you are a very crucial part to the body of Christ here in Pearland. With that being said, we have a question today. What's your attitude towards? Now, I'm going to ask you what your attitude toward is because it's time to reflect. It's time for us to think about how we are thinking about the church in various aspects. So the first thing I want to talk about is, is your heart. We talked about this recently in, in, in times in a few sermons back, but the attitude comes from the heart. Look at Acts chapter 13 and verse 22. And when he had removed him, that is Saul was removed, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. All right. We see that all the time. That Jesse was a man after God's own heart. And of course, the heart is where the attitude is. And so where you have your understanding, what you believe yourself to be, the type of information you've taken in, the type of attitude, the will, the resilience, the tenacity, all these things that we have, that comes from what we have put in. That's what comes out. And look what's happening here. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, so what was in David's character? What was in his heart? Who will do all my will? So David's heart, it's great that we have a heart like David's and everybody says we should have a good heart, a heart like David's, a, a heart that is after God. Yes, and that kind of heart is defined as a heart that wills to do God's will. And so when we're talking about our attitude towards the church, We've got to have the attitude in where we will do what God says. And if what we're doing, whether personally or whether religiously, whether in a group, whatever it is, what we do has to come from the will of God. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart. So the heart takes preparation. This is what I'm talking about. You know, whenever somebody is wanting to be a sports person, you're going to get out what you put in. Sure, God's going to give you some ability. Some people have different attributes that others have that you would say that guy's a natural for the sport. But what does it take? It takes more than being a natural. It takes preparation. It not only takes the physical work, which is very, very important, all the physical work, the, the hard work, the drills, the, the ethic, everything that it takes to really be that top level guy in whatever sports. But what I believe is more important is the person in your ear telling you, you're the best. You're the winner. You beat everyone in here. You walk into that room and you look at everybody else on whatever field, court, whatever, and you know right away you're the best and nobody can tell you different. And then you go prove yourself. That type of person has a winner's attitude, could walk into the job on the first day and say, in five years, I'm running this place. That's the attitude that we need to have when looking towards the church. 
We need to have that attitude that is so prepared that when it comes down to it and we ask those questions, what's my attitude toward worship? The best that I can give. That's my attitude. What's my attitude towards the work of the church? As hard as I can work. That's my attitude. What's my attitude towards the truth of God's word? To give it all I got to stay with it. That's my attitude. But see, you need people in your ear telling you, you can do it. You are the best at this. God has put you here for a reason. It's your turn to work, to speak the truth, to worship with the church. It's your turn to stand up and lead. You see, the Bible says that we need to be teaching other men who are able to then teach other men and to be able to be leaders. And so within our lives, each one of us has the potential to be a leader, whether in a worship setting or or somewhere at work or individually with Bible studies. We can lead, but it comes with your attitude. And so the question becomes, what is your attitude? Are you like Ezra in that you prepared your heart? You had somebody teaching you. You had somebody guiding you. You know where to get the information, which is the word of God. You prepared your heart and you say, it's time to seek it. So I'm going to look for what I need to do. And then it's time to do it. So he's going to seek the law of the Lord. Then he's not only going to have that information, take it in and not do anything with it. He's actually going to do something with it to do it, to physically live it in his life, to teach and preach others and to have God's will be done in his life towards the world. What else? And to teach the statutes and ordinances in Israel. So among God's people, he's going to teach. And that's where his heart is. That's his attitude towards God's law. That's his attitude towards the people in that he wants to teach them. That's his attitude towards the work of the church or the work of the uh, temple, the work of the uh, law of Moses under that statute. He's going to teach it. With what? With all of his heart like David, because he prepared his heart. So a lot of times when we're having questions about how we're reacting or handling things of the church, and we're not too happy or, or we're not understanding that we're doing what we need to do. We find ourselves in odd places. It's because your heart's in an odd place also. What's your attitude towards the truth? Do you exchange it or do you hinder it? You see, the word of God is the truth. John chapter 8 and verse 32. For you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And so God gives us that truth in that word. And what is that word? That word is Jesus Christ. John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in first John chapter one and, and seven and following or four and following, you'll see very clearly. And, and how do we walk in the truth? And we walk in the light as he is in the light because Jesus is the light of the world. So when we're talking about truth. We're talking about God's word that is brought to us by Jesus and then by promise of the Holy Spirit through the apostles to us. And what we do with that word is very important because Jesus says, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my father. So that means when there is opportunity to say what we have to say and to be the Christian we need to be, we need to be Doing good with the word of God, which is the truth. Here's Romans chapter one and verse 32. Who knowing these are people who knowing they have the knowledge, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, they know what's going to happen. 
that those who practice such things, they know the things they're practicing are not good to practice in the eyes of God, are deserving of death. They know the problem that they're going to have when they are in this sin, that is death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So you have people who know these people are doing wrong. You have the people that know they're doing wrong. Everybody knows that sin is deserving of death, but yet they exchange the truth of God in the context. They exchange the truth of God for, as the Bible teaches in this context, in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and following, they exchange the truth of God for the lie of the devil. And so we have this understanding. There's either the lie of the devil or the truth of God. And some people exchange it. And here's even worse. Some people know it. They see it happening and they approve of it that it's okay knowing the truth. So we've got to be careful what we do with the truth. What's your attitude towards the truth? Look at Romans 1 and verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. See that word men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You see, some people want to suppress the truth and say, it's not really what it says it says. It's not really what it is. You're seeing it all wrong. Our way to see it is this. No, that's just your interpretation. What I see it as is, and we can go on all day with these excuses and examples, but you're either going to exchange the truth for a falsehood or you're going to hinder the truth by suppressing it. We see this all too often by a lot of people in various circumstances, but we can't find ourselves, the members of the church, in this situation. I want you to think about 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5, you will see a very clear sentiment that the Christian saints, that is you, are to hold the gospel of Christ, hold the Christ on your shoulders as you're walking through. It is our job not to suppress the truth, not to exchange the truth, but to uphold the truth and carry the truth to everywhere we go. And so I ask, what's your attitude towards the truth? Are you embarrassed of it? Uh, are you afraid of it? Do you hinder it? Do you find yourself being ashamed of it when, when questions are being asked and you just don't know quite how to answer? Or do you find yourself saying, hey, that's, that's fine. You do what you want to do. In reality, our attitudes as Christians in the church should be to give the word freely so people could be free for the truth sets us free. Do you preach it and support it? Speaking of the truth. If Christians aren't preaching and teaching the truth, how will anybody understand? This is Romans chapter 10, verses uh, 10 through 17. You can write that down as a note and study that. We need Christians to teach and preach the gospel of Christ so people can hear and understand and ask, what shall I do to be saved? But look at 1 Timothy 2 and verse 7. For which I was appointed, Paul, Paul was appointed, for which I was appointed a preacher. That's Caruso, a proclaimer. Somebody who is going to preach like this to people where everyone can hear. That's Paul. Paul's attitude towards the truth is, I'm a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking, you see, not I might speak 
Sometimes I do speak. No, I am always, I am speaking the truth in Christ. Look what he says, and not lying. So he's not giving you his example or the way I see it, how we commonly see that today. This is the way we feel about it and so forth. He's not saying that. He's saying, I'm giving you exactly what it says. It's the truth. I'm not lying to you. I am a teacher of the Gentiles in faith. Now that faith comes in Jesus Christ by the gospel of Christ and truth. Now what does the Bible say? That grace and truth came to us in Jesus Christ. So we have Paul, who his attitude towards the the truth is, I'm going to preach it. That means I'm going to proclaim it loud and clear for everyone to hear. I'm going to speak it always. So I'm going to talk about it all the time. It sounds a lot like Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to talk about it on the way when we're sitting down, when we're lying down, when we're walking. So we have Paul. I'm going to scream it. I'm going to speak it. What is he speaking? The truth. That means God's will. And I'm going to do that in Jesus Christ, by the authority of Christ. Christ has given the scriptures by his authority. I'm going to preach it. I'm going to speak it all the time. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to butter it up or sugar it up or water it down, however you want to put it. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to preach in season and out of season, right? Whether you want it or you don't want it, you're going to get it. That's what he's saying. Now watch. I'm a teacher. That's all Christians. So he's doing, look at all these aspects he's teaching us. That we're teachers too. Of who? The Gentiles. Others just like us. But in the gospel truth of faith and the message of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Timothy 3.15. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Whose house is it? Which is the church of the living God and the pillar and ground of, there it is, truth. Do you know how many congregations would have been saved if people's attitudes towards the church was this right here? Can you imagine, just imagine this for a moment. There's a problem going on in the congregation. There is strife, there's contention. Everybody knows about it, but nobody wants to talk about it. People don't know what to do. Preacher gets up here and continues to preach. No big deal. They'll work itself out. It gets a little more crazy. Now, some members are going to other members' house and saying, hey, look, I'm thinking about getting out of here. Or what do you think about that? Here's my problem. And those people start going back and forth. And now there's more people talking. And before you know, we got 30 here. We're going to leave or else. And it's too late. What if when the contention was going on, preacher comes up here and says, Look at what Paul says. I write so that you may know your attitude. You may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Y'all know you're not acting right. And here's why. You know how many things will be cleared up? See, God clears it up. That's the attitude we need to have to to the truth. To support the church. To save souls. To keep us unified. To keep the church of the living God the pillar and ground of truth. But it comes down to whether you love it or not. Do you love the truth? A lot of times we don't, we don't differentiate between the love of the truth and always telling somebody what is right biblically. Now there's ways to do it, tactful ways to do it. 
Look at what he says here in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 10. The coming of the lawless one is according to the work of Satan. Now remember, when we're fighting truth, it's either Satan's or God's. So the coming of the lawless one is according to the work of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. You see, the ones who are perishing are, have been deceived and are being deceived because they did not receive, look what it says, the love of the truth that they might be saved. So the love of the truth and your obedience to that truth puts you in the saved category. If you don't love the truth, then you're not going to be saved. But you see, it's very clear. Christians' attitude towards the truth is supposed to be to love it. Because you're seeing an aspect here of people that have seen the truth, but have not received the love of the truth. They don't really love it. And there's others who love it deeply. When I was coming back to Texas from Georgia, I was talking to a guy and he interviewed me. He called me on the phone and he said, we, we'd like you to come over here and, um, and, and do an interview and so forth. And I was coming here to visit family anyway. And I said, sure, I will. Um, I need to get out of Georgia. Right? You want the notes? You let me know. I'll tell you after church. So I said, I've got to leave Georgia. So I said, uh, do you guys, how do you guys perceive preaching? Uh, can I preach the whole gospel? Well, give me a little something about your congregation. I'll never forget his words. His name is Jason Christian. And he calmly said, brother, we love the truth. As long as it's from the Bible, you will never hear a word from us. That's the love of the truth. That no matter how you preach it or when you preach it, if it's in the Bible, we love it. Whether we're ready to receive it or it hits us and steps on our toes, we love it. Whether it exhorts us and makes us ride on high and leave here for the whole week to share to the world who we are and what we stand for. As long as it's truth, no matter how it hits us, we need to love it. What about the work of the church? Here's the attitude. You see, if you love the truth, then the work is going to follow. Do you avoid the work of the church? Look at 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 11. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work. Now, we're not talking about somebody going to work and clocking in at the factory or at the office or at the bank or wherever you work. We're not talking about that. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. You see, the times were very communal. And the Christians took care of each other and they shared the load and everybody was working harmoniously. But guess what? If you didn't share the load and you didn't work, you don't eat. You imagine this. We're having a, a, a friends and family Sunday. It's the fifth Sunday. We got fried chicken. It always comes in two boxes. OK, always. So no matter what else is there, we've got fried chicken and you've been craving that fried chicken and it smells good and who knows where it comes from. But man, get it, please, because it is great. You got somebody's made mac and cheese. That's always a certain. Somebody has brought um, sausage with that's been in a, in a crock pot with barbecue sauce and you can smell it and it comes every single time. Those are three staples that will not miss and you're waiting for it. And everybody's lining up and an elder goes up there and says, you know, you know, you know, um, all of y'all have been working and you've been on projects and you've been helping the evangelism of the church. All of y'all can go eat. These are non-workers. They shall not eat. 
that's kind of what's happening. You see, can you imagine that? We don't want to do that. But we don't want to find ourselves in a position where God would tell us that either. You're not working, you ain't eating. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. Have you considered that sometimes not working for the church could be considered disorderly? Now, we don't ever want to find ourselves in that position, nor I will probably never look at you and say, you're very disorderly and disordinate. I'll just throw that in there too. Not working at all, but our busybodies. You see, some people, when their attitudes towards the work of the church, they got no problem talking about the work, but they got all the problems doing the work. You see how that works? Now, what we need to do is break the mold. And the mold is 80-20. So for every congregation, mostly 20% of the people are doing 100% of the work. And 80% of the people are there. And when you ask them, they'll, they'll do. But they're not readily going to do. And that's normally how congregations are. But as soon as you start rising up and everybody starts working and working and everybody starts getting it before you know, it's going to change. It's going to be 80-20 the other way. And, and that's a healthy, healthy congregation. What about the work? Do you do it faithfully? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Be diligent. All right? You've got to be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker. Now, when you're working for God in the church, we're not only talking about preaching and teaching. We're not only talking about studying the Word of God, rightly dividing the Word of God. We're talking about every aspect of the work. Visiting people, taking care of people, reaching out to people, making sure evangelism is happening. A whole array of works. So many that we can't even uh, mention here. But you need to be diligent to present yourself approved to God being a worker. That's what your attitude needs to be. Who does not need to be ashamed? You meet Jesus. You shouldn't have to be ashamed to be like, man, I should have worked more me to play Moses on VBS, but I didn't do it. You see? But we need to. We need to be able to, to take those opportunities and be workers. What if your VBS affected somebody's life? I'm going to tell you a story. What time we got? Okay. I'm going to tell you a story. There was two kids that were not members of the church. One was eight years old the other was three years old. Okay. They were watching the VBS bus go by in the local town of Point Comfort, Texas. Little town. This VBS bus would go by. It was a white bus with blue letters, the Church of Christ. And they had bullhorns out on top. And, and the kids were singing, right? Get away, devil, don't bother me. Y'all remember that. So they're singing these songs they're going by and the two children are looking, thinking, we want to get on that bus. It looks like fun. But those two children had a mother and that mother was not having it. You're not getting on that bus, that bus full of heathens. OK, fine. Second day comes. This is back when VBSs used to be seven to ten days. OK, second bus comes by the next day. Children are out there again and the children are out there again. And, uh, you know, there they are singing they're singing songs all the way yeah once was a little boy david down by the babylon brook you hear those songs going by and the kids are there looking and the mother says don't even think about it third day bus comes by 
kids are out there this time they're crying at least one of them they're crying the mother says what's wrong we just want to get on the bus they said mother stopped the bus the bus driver said can i help you the mother said where are you going oh we're just going around the block to the church of christ building over here they're having a vbs what is a vbs it's where they're going to learn about god and all these things this that and the other and you know, it would be okay. We'll bring them. We'll even bring them back for you. So the mother thought, okay, we'll let them go. They went to VBS. They loved it. And the preacher was doing his job saying, where do y'all worship? And they would say where they worshiped. And they say, here's all these tracks. Take these home to your mother. So those tracks went home to the mom. The two kids were there. The mom gets mad. Of course, that track didn't come until the last day of VBS. And the mom gets it. And the mom says, what is all this? I'm going to this preacher and I'm going to tell him a piece of my mind. Goes to the preacher. Three hours later, the mother comes back and the mother's hair is wet. And of course, it's a young mother and a young husband and husband says, what you do with wet hair? Where'd you take a shower at? You can imagine. And the mother says, listen, we've been lied to our whole life. I was baptized just a while ago. I'm a member of the Lord's church. I don't know who worked that VBS, but when people decided to play Moses, when people decided to put that VBS on, when people decided to do that, that mother is my mother, still a faithful member. My dad is a member of the church. I'm a preacher because somebody worked. You see your attitude? That's the importance. You're going to make a cookie. Make it the best cookie possible and tell the kid that they, they're loved. It's got to be that way. That's a faithful worker. Whatever the work is, because you never know who it's going to affect. What's your attitude towards the church? Okay, a couple attitudes to have. Do you have the attitude that you're always kicking against it because you want to change it? You're not happy with it, different things like that. Paul was in the same situation while he was still called Saul. And the Lord met him and said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. You know, Matthew chapter 18 and verse six, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That means if hell and the grave of death, Sheol is not going to change the church, neither are you. You see, it's worthless to kick against it. It is what it is. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 26 Look at your faith towards the church and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's why we're here to help people realize the love of Christ, to help ourselves understand that we're all loved and we can all take care of each other to help us all get to heaven, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's what we're doing here. We're the church. We're assembling ourselves together. But as the manner of some, some people literally in their minds, they think, you know what? I don't want to go today. I'm just not going. What's your attitude towards the church? Here's what your attitude should be. Your attitude should be Jesus Christ died for the church. He shed his own blood on the cross and he has lovingly commanded, asked you to worship every single Sunday with the church. He died for me and he says, do this for me. Do you know if somebody stepped in front of a bullet for you, 
today and you made it on the news that you would tell that person, hey, listen, anything you need, ever. And if that person said something, you're there to do it because your life was saved. That's the way Christ is to the church. He died on the cross. And you don't even have to ask, hey, what do I do for you because you saved me? He says, worship. Every first day of the week. Because He did that, He's asking you to do this. And so, as we see the day approaching, we need to be very conscious to have the attitude of the church to worship on Sunday. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there's that truth again, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And I'll let you fill in the blanks. What about the church? Do you despise it or build it up? 1 Corinthians 11.22 What? With the exclamation point. Do you not have houses to eat and drink concerning the Lord's Supper? This is not, you don't, we don't pass around fried chicken, right? In the plates, that's what they're saying. You take the Lord's Supper with respect and understanding and you wait for everybody to show up. And so he says, do you not have houses to drink and eat in? Or do you despise the church of God? What does that mean? And, the, and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Do you realize that sometimes when we think it should be a certain way and we implement those things in the church, we're actually despising the church of God because Jesus has already sealed it and said, this is what you do in it. So our attitude towards the church has to be, what does Jesus say to do in the church? Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Why? Because Paul wrote me the letter saying, if I can't come to you shortly, I'm writing you this so that you ought to know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. And so we've got to, know, we've got to do what he's asking. And what about Ephesians 4, 11 through 12? And he himself gave some to be apostles. None of you are apostles. Can this apply to us? Some to be prophets. None of you are prophets. Some to be evangelists. Some are evangelists. And some pastors some are pastors, so we've got evangelists, we've got pastors, look, and teachers. What's your attitude towards the church? Because God gives us what we need for what? The equipping of the saints, the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. You see, if you can imagine yourself how God puts you here and has that attitude that you can make a difference. One individual person can make a difference in the body of Christ to build it up, to edify it, to solidify people, and to encourage people to be more than they think they can be. That's the work of the church and the building up of the body. Here's your conclusion for today. When we're thinking about our attitude towards the church, there are some standards there. And the first standard is truth, right? If it's not in the Bible, then our attitude should be against it or not worry about it. If it's in the Bible, our attitude should be we want to follow it. Once you're following the truth and, and you're in the church, then the question becomes, what do we do with the truth? And that's where work comes in. That God strategically builds a congregation to work, to reach people, to save people. And we need to find ourselves in that work. There was a woman that was asking their congregation, true story, was asking the congregation, um, uh, what can I do to, to work for the church? I feel like I can't do nothing. I'm not a good bake, a baker. I, I can't make good pies. I don't make good food. 
I can't write on cards. Uh, I think something was wrong with their hand. And so one of the elders said, we've got to tell her something. What can, what can we give her? And the elders said, hey, look, why don't you just go knock on doors in your neighborhood and ask somebody if, if, if they were willing that you would drive them to church every Sunday? Okay. So she went and knocked. Now, who knows what the elders, if that was, they were just trying to give her something so she could go try it or what? She started knocking on doors and everybody said no. Everybody said no. And she was not discouraged. This is the work of the church. She's not discouraged. She keeps knocking. She answers the, they answer the door and they said, can I help you? And she says, I'm from the church of Christ. And I'm just wondering if somebody would need a ride. I would be willing to give you a ride to church. And, you know, it was the dad that came to the door and the dad says, oh, we don't need to go to church. We're not having it. But maybe you take young Marshall. Boy, he needs it. He's a mess. Marshall's about eight years old. He looks at her basically, ma'am, please take me to church. Everybody's a mess in that family. She takes him to church. She molds him. The woman dies shortly after. She molded him enough that he stayed there. He became a member of the church. And to this day, in modern day history in the churches of Christ, he has the most recorded baptisms ever recorded by an individual. Marshall Keeble, 33,000 plus baptisms. The work. Sometimes the knock on the door does the biggest job. You see, we can never underestimate what we can do, how little we can do it, because God's the one that's going to do it. It's His power. So what do we do? We have the truth. We do the work. And look at this. Towards the church and towards God. Here's your attitude towards God. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Your total being is to be focused and directed towards God. That's how we, we get where we need to get with our attitude. Matthew 6.33 But seek first the kingdom, that's the church of God, and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Blessings upon blessings upon blessings. Seek first the kingdom. Keep God first in your heart. Focus on that. And everything else takes care of itself. And maybe one day. Here's the beautiful part about God and how he works with people's attitudes and willingness. Maybe one day somebody you affect will go on to do mighty works in the church. And you would have never thought. Imagine that woman as we close. Can you imagine that woman who who knocked on that door for Marshall Keeble? You know, the Bible says that every time you you uh, win a soul, you get a jewel. Thirty thousand plus jewels. Can you imagine how that thing looks? And she's like, all I did was knock on the door. And I get all this. We just need to get out there and do what we can. And we can all start by inviting someone to church. To hear the truth for themselves. This morning, if anybody has any need of anything, whether to ask for prayers, to repent for anything, to get back on the right track if you're on the right track, or to put on Christ in baptism and to become a New Testament Christian, if you have any need, come forward as we stand and as we sing.